Hi, welcome back to Chaplaincy Chats, the LTU podcast that explores interesting topics with interesting people. I'm your host, Joseph Nelson, the Associate Lutheran Chaplain here at Leeds Trinity University. And every month, we are joined by different people discussing topics relevant to life and faith's biggest questions. We are joined today by Father Tony Curra from the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity. So, Father Tony, who are you and what is your background? Thanks, Joseph. So, I'm a, a Roman Catholic priest. Um, I'm a, what we call a diocesan priest from Hexham and Newcastle Diocese, which is the Catholic Church in the northeast of England. Uh, I was born in Newcastle, a fairly typical Catholic family, uh, grew up attending the local Catholic schools and very much involved in the life of the parish church, which was just at the bottom of our street. Um, I've done a history degree in London, which I suppose was my first time uh, living away from those faith supports of family, school and parish. Um, but at the end of that time at university, I, I felt that God was calling me to be a priest. So um, I, I put myself forward for the diocese. Um, I've been uh, a parish priest in the diocese for 11 years. Um, most of that time, I was also university chaplain at Durham University, where I came across, where, well, where I worked alongside many um, other chaplains from other churches, mainly Anglicans, but also Methodists, um, United Reformed, Orthodox, um, and also uh, worked with, with colleagues in local parishes. But there was also the university that was doing a lot of work ecumenically. So that's kind of a little bit of my ecumenical background. Wonderful. Thank you. So I've got two questions. What is your current job? And what led you to working for the Pontifical Council for Christian Unity? Okay, so yes, I, I work at the, the Pontifical Council, what we call the Pontifical Council for the Promotion of Christian Unity, um, which is like, uh, it's easiest to think of it as, a, as like a government department, if you like. If, if you think of, um, you know, the government in Whitehall having different departments for different kind of responsibilities, well, so does the Vatican, and we have a department which is responsible for our relations with other churches, for ecumenism. I work there, and my particular responsibilities are for um, dialogue and relations with the Worldwide Anglican Communion, the Worldwide Methodist Communion, and something called the Week of Prayer for Christian Unity, which happens every year from the 18th to the 25th of January. And we have other, other officials here who are responsible for um, relations with Pentecostals and Evangelicals, for Lutherans, for Orthodox, Oriental Orthodox, all the different churches. How I got to be here is, is really a bit out of the blue. I got an email one Easter Monday morning from the man who's now one of my bosses, uh, inviting me to come to Rome for interview. Uh, I thought it was a joke and that it was going to be some spam email asking me to give all my bank details over for a large bequest. So I suppose somebody put my name forward um, because I'd worked ecumenically 
and I'd worked in connection with theology, um, and that's how it all came about. But it really was uh, 2013, an email out of the blue, that, that you don't apply for these jobs, the things that sometimes just happen, and it just happened to me at that particular moment in my life. So I suppose the big question, it has two parts, but we'll go for the first part first. Is Christian unity a realistic aim? Thanks for that question. It's a good question, and it's an important one to to deal with uh, straight away. In a way, I want to go a little bit behind it before I start, because I've, I've thought about this, and to think, well, you know, why should we care about Christian unity? Why is it something Christians should be bothered about? Um, and I think the best way to think about this is to think about unity in the same kind of way that we think about justice and peace. Um, there's a problem there in that very often people feel that unity and justice pull them in different directions. You know, I can do the thing that preserves the unity of my church here, or I can do the unit, I can do the thing which is just here. And if I do the just thing, maybe I pull away and break the unity of the church. But from a Christian point of view, these things belong to God's kingdom. These are the things that God talks about when he talks about the salvation he wants to bring about. Um, think about the biblical images. Think about Isaiah 2, God's holy mountain, where he will draw all nations to himself. Or think about Jesus saying, when the Son of Man is lifted up from the earth, he will draw all people to himself. Or think about the image of Jesus the Good Shepherd, gathering in the flock, going after the lost uh, to make the flock whole again. They're all images of what God wants us to understand is the salvation he is bringing about, what his kingdom is like. And unity is a part of it. And then when we as, well, we as Catholics, I'm talking for myself now, obviously, think about the church. Um, we talk about the church being like a sacrament, a, a, a sign and instrument. And what's it a sign and instrument of? Well, it's of the unity that God wants to bring about in the world um, so that we are to show the world what being drawn into the saving love of Jesus is like. Uh, by our unity and therefore invite and be a force working for the bringing of the whole world into that love of Jesus, which will unite us. So it's tempting to pit unity against justice um, and perhaps peace, but we can't because they all belong to God's kingdom. And what we can't do is say, well, we might say, will justice ever come about in this world? Which is getting more to your question about, is this realistic? Will justice ever come about in this world? Will this world ever be just? Well, you know, maybe not until the eschaton, but we don't say, therefore, let's just leave it to God at the eschaton. It's the same with unity. Um, unity is a gift from God. And as long as we live on the world, on this face of the earth, we will have disputes and arguments and we'll battle with one another. But that doesn't mean that we can just say, well, well, we leave the gift of unity until God wants to give it to us at the end of time. No, it's the same way we work for justice now, because to have hearts that thirst for the kingdom means we work for justice. So to have hearts that thirst for 
the kingdom, we have to work for unity. We have to work for the, um, the undoing of division, for the creation of understanding and peace between us, so that we model in this world as, as Christian believers what life in the saving love of Jesus is like. It's being united. It's being gathered together. It's being made whole. That's what Jesus has shown us about the kingdom. Now, why this is a good question is because we look at some of the divisions which um, divide Christians and we throw up our hands in despair. How are we ever going to get past some of these things? Uh, and it's difficult. Um, so uh, we know that in take the issue of the ordination of women and the position of the Catholic and Orthodox churches on that question, we know that that's a really difficult uh, thing to overcome. We're not going to do it in the next 10 years, you know. Look at the question of human sexuality. See the division of many of the churches in the West, uh, on the one hand, and Catholic, Evangelical, Pentecostal, Orthodox churches on the other. How are we going to get past that? And unity can't come about by someone making an easy decision, waving a wand. You know, I think people often look at Catholics and think, well, you know, you have the Pope and surely the Pope can just make a decision. But once you live in the Catholic Church, you realize that if the Pope does something, uh, you know, make some decision one day, um, it will only create a division somewhere else. We can't bring about unity in this area by creating a division somewhere else. We have to bring everybody along. That means we understand it's a patient work and it's a work that's gonna come about through um, a slow shift that will involve many elements. Um, now my work is focused very much on theological dialogue, on, on uh, churches meeting together to, to work out their theological differences in that kind of theological tenor, talking that theological language. So with the Anglican Communion, we have ARCIC, uh, the Anglican Roman Catholic International Commission. With the Methodists, we have a very similar commission, the Methodist uh, Roman Catholic International Commission. And we hammer out differences theologically. But it's not as if we think that we're going to reach a point where like solving a complicated uh, algebraic sum, we, we, we'll get the solution and then everything will fall into place. No, that goes alongside building relationship with one another, building relationship at all sorts of levels. Church leaders will have a particular part to play in that because when we see our church leaders meeting together and shaking hands and embracing and praying together, we think, wow, you know, this is possible. But that also needs to happen in parishes and in communities and chaplaincies. It needs to happen at the national level with national leaders. It needs to be modeled at all sorts of different levels. Theologians meeting together, Christians in the pews meeting together, Christians praying together, and Christians working together for the good of the world. So it'll have to be a multi-pronged approach. Um, and obviously getting over some of those very difficult problems is going to be um, the most difficult thing of all. Uh, 
we need to begin by presuming good faith on the part of the other. We have to, and we have to start by each thinking that however wrong we think the other, the other person is, they're not doing this out of some, you know, evil or, or, or bad intention. They're trying to hold on to what they think is an important Christian value. That's where they are. And we have to listen to them. Uh, it's about dialogue uh, at that fundamental level of really attending to the other person rather than just wanting to bat them over the heads with our own opinion. You know, dialogue, real dialogue involves that listening with an open heart. We know that division always comes from, from sin because unity belonging to the kingdom means that uh, it's not in God's plan. Division is, is sinful. It's not what God intends. Um, and God wants us to receive this gift of unity. Um, and we don't because somewhere there is sin in the mix. Now, that, this maybe seems to stand at variance with what I've just said, that we presume good faith in the other. But we have to examine our own hearts for where the sin is. What, what's the attitude that makes me not really want unity with these other people as much as I should, or my church to want unity with these people as much as they should. And sometimes we'll have to say, look, this person has a heartfelt conviction about something, and I have a heartfelt conviction about something, and these we're not, are in different places. We can't reduce them at the moment. So where's the sin there? Because everybody's acting in good conscience. And I think about that question a lot. And my answer, the only answer I think you can get to is this. The answer is giving up on the dialogue. The sin would be to stop dialoguing, to stop really trying to open my heart, to understand the gospel value that the other person is trying to uphold. It's going to take time. It's going to take time before I enlarge my vision enough to, to be able to accept that. Um, and on both sides. And that's, that's the kind of work that we're involved in. Um, and we've got to kind of keep ourselves at it. I'm talking for too long, Joseph. Come in with your Oh, next. no, no, it's fine. No, no. Thank you so much. I'm enthralled. <laughs> so, so if we are to have unity, and I know you've touched on it in some ways, what does that look like? How do we achieve it? And so often I think us in the pews or regular Christians feel like there's not much we can do. For example, in the uh, library here at uh, St. Luke's Church, we have a picture of um, our bishop meeting with Pope Benedict a few years ago, which is wonderful. But sometimes we can feel like us as individual Christians can't do much to make a difference. And so what, what does unity look like for you and how do we achieve that? Yeah, the truth is that we, we do have a unity already. We have a unity that is not complete. We have a unity because we are all brothers and sisters with one another through baptism. Uh, I mean, that's one of the main reasons why we cannot be indifferent to Christian disunity. I, you know, I, um, my brothers and sisters here in, in Christ, uh, I can't yet fully embrace in, in different ways. And for Catholics, you know, it, it's, 
uh, it's at the, the table of the Eucharist that we're not able yet to share Eucharist with our brothers and sisters in, in Christ. That's a really painful, really difficult thing. And we cannot rest until that happens. So part of what unity will look like will be getting to that point where we can receive together and be fully united. We talk about unity in faith, uh, in ministry and in worship, and we're not yet fully united on all of those things. You know, we, we still have differences of, of theology, still have differences in how we understand the ministry of the church so we're not all recognizing one another and the authority that the teaching authority that goes with that and we're not yet united fully in the worship around the lord's table so that those things have to happen no that's where we're trying to get towards um but the fact that we have unity already to an extent that we are brothers and sisters, that can be manifest, that can be shown to the world uh, by working together for the poor, for one thing, work together for the needy, for refugees, on the environment. You know, last year in Rome, here we had faith leaders meeting together um, and uh, the ecumenical patriarch in Constantinople, the Archbishop of Canterbury, the Pope and leaders of other churches, General Secretary of the World Lutheran Federation, for example, they were all uh, here in Rome and they united in saying to the countries of the world, we need to do something now about the environment. This was ahead of the COP26 meeting, just a month ahead, to say to world leaders, you need to make this COP26 a success because the world's future needs it. So that's a united witness about something that the world needs, about climate justice. We can do something similar on the plight of refugees in our world today. We can do something similar about poverty, about the unequal uh, distribution of the world resources that mean that people in many parts of the world do not have security to, to work and, and, and build better lives themselves or don't have decent education beyond primary level or even at primary level that don't have decent health care, that don't have access at the moment to vaccines uh, that are so important. So all Christians can be part of the work of, of being jointly involved with one another in, in showing what Christianity, what it means to be a Christian in this part of the world now, in, in how Christ, being a Christian means I'm trying to do something for justice and goodness in the world here and now. And we also need to come, and, and through that work, what happens is we come to love our brothers and sisters more. And that makes us thirst for unity. That makes us want to be together at the Lord's table. And we start to understand, well, why, what are the things that are holding us back? And maybe some of the things that are holding us back, we think, well, I don't think that should hold us back. Well, then we tell our churches, you know, I don't think we should be holding back for this. And that's important too, because the theology of our churches don't, belong to uh, a small group of people at the center working in the Vatican or working in the, the office of the Lutheran World Federation in Hamburg or whatever, they, they or sorry, in Geneva, they, they, uh, they, they belong to all of us as the people of God. And we have to have our voices heard and say, this is, you know, we, 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 we think we need to be better united with these people. That push from below, is very important in getting our churches to move forward and take 
incremental steps that lead to unity. I love the sound in the background of the um, <laughs> the Italian uh, ambulances, yeah. exactly police cars. There's um, a hospital just over the road here. <laughs> oh, I spent some time in Rome, as some of you will know, and uh, it's uh, it's a lovely noise to hear that again. <laughs> Very jealous. And thank you so much, Father Tony, for joining us. Is there any sort of resources that you would suggest that people have a look at? Well, yeah, we put uh, I, the ones I know best. I mean, all the churches have their websites and all things are available there. We have in our office a website, which is very easy to remember. It's ChristianUnity, all one word, dot VA, VA for Vatican. That's what they use here. Uh, and on that, it'll probably come up in Italian first, but there's a, an English language tab you can you can hit. And on there, you've got all the dialogue documents that we have had with all of the churches. So with Anglicans, Methodists, with the uh, what we call the Byzantine Orthodox, the Oriental Orthodox, with Lutherans, with the Reformed, with Evangelicals. Also, the documents we produce as an office or as as, as, as a Catholic Church to do with ecumenism. So our foundational document as a dicastery is a document of the Second Vatican Council called Unitatis Red Integratio. Then we've got a very important letter of John Paul II called Utunum Sint, that they may all be one. And then we've got documents, the most recent one called the Ecumenical Vademecum, which sets out our priorities and thinking about how unity will Will be achieved which is very much this multi-pronged approach doing lots of things we talk about a dialogue of love and a dialogue of truth and a dialogue of life so that's a lot of resources which you can look at all on one page and i, I recommend that to you it also has news items coming up all the time about the things that we are doing if you want to know what our office works at that's a good way of finding out that's wonderful thank you so much thanks um, if we just end with a very short prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that through baptism we are part of one church, one Lord, one Spirit, one God and Father of us all. And we pray that one day we might answer your call, that all of us might be one. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. If you have a topic you want us to discuss, we'll be back soon with Hannah. So drop her a message or contact the chaplaincy on Facebook, Instagram or Twitter or check us out on the Leeds Trinity University website. Thank you very much. <laughs>